What's up everyone, it's PK and welcome into an extra special edition of the Buffalo Sports Collective. I got to once again sit down and chat with Teddy Jenner of the Off the Crossbar podcast as well as broadcaster for the NLL and the Shamrocks. We talked about the season that was for the NLL, the playoff outlook, wrestling, and much more. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. And we are joined again with our first repeat guest, Teddy Jenner of the Off the Crossbar podcast, NLL and Shamrocks broadcaster. Teddy, welcome back to the show. How's it going? Pat, my friend, how's things going, my man? Uh, things are good out here. How are you? Oh, not bad, not bad at all. You know, just another day trying to get through the week. <laughs> oh, boy. So the last time we spoke, and I hope your winner and NLL season is treated you well, I guess we'll dive right into it. After the longly awaited return to NLL action, how do you think the season and NLL season in general went overall? It's funny. I was asked this uh, the other night on, on another show, and my answer is still the same. I thought after the layoff that we had and all the time away that the players had, the moment the first game happened and the whistle blew all the way through the last games this past weekend, they were ready to go and they were fired up. And it's obviously that built up anticipation of the multiple months away from playing in the National Cross League. And I thought from top to bottom, the talent in the league was better than it ever had been. You know, we saw Panther City go on runs. We saw New York make a playoff push. Everybody was in contention at some point. And on top of all that, you had all the records that were being broken and and near being broken. Just It was just an incredible season um, from start to finish. And I just hope the playoffs continue that way because after such a break, this is exactly what we needed. Yeah, 100%. Even with a guy like, I mean, I, I was, we were big talking to him last time we talked with Jeff Teat, where he's just all those records. And mm -hmm. I was wondering if he was going to be able to transition to NL action. And man, he blew the doors off. Yeah. You know, I think many of us knew what Jeff Teat could do. I don't think we all saw him having such an incredible record. Like the guy missed two games still, and he put up, you know, one of the best seasons in NLL history as a rookie. So, if he played a full season, like just imagine what he could have done. So I think the more of a surprise for me was just how easy he made it look at times. And that's just what Jeff Teed has always done. And I think people are now aware that he is going to be an elite threat in our league for a long time. Yeah, I think uh, he showed us here in Band Atlanta exactly what he could do. He pretty much defeated them the, yeah. the one week without Caleb Crawford. We went in going, okay, we got a shot here because yeah. Crawford's out, and then Teat just single-handedly destroyed us. But as far as coverage of the sport goes, being on TSN up in Canada and ESPN here in the States, do you think that helped bring back fans that might have been you know, a little distant because of you know the lack of action and being able to reach new fans that they hadn't been able to see in the sport in the past. I know we talked about it before, how important it was to get it to homes that hadn't normally seen it. Do you think it was able to also bring back fans that might've missed it? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it had to have have a, a positive effect on the gate. Obviously for, you know, much of the season up here in Canada, there were a lot of restrictions still on arenas and, you know, Halifax had a month away from being able to play a home game and having to play in Hamilton, they had a few months where they couldn't have any fans in the arena at all. So having those games on TV not only brought back new fans, but it, it kept the current fans engaged 
because they could still watch their team even while these restrictions were happening. So in Canada, it was a huge boost. And obviously for the growth of the game south of the border in the U.S., having that ESPN deal is massive, not only for your newer fans or fans that are in remote locations that may not have their own NLL team. Now they're able to turn on the TV and, and find a game or they're able to watch it on their computer and find, you know, their favorite player or something like that. So in the overall grand picture, I thought it was a, a great success. I thought on top of that, the production value across the league was better than it has ever been. Still have some minor bugs to work out from that standpoint, but overall, uh, the first year on TSN and ESPN has to be looked at as a roaring success. Yeah, I 100% agree with you. Out of all the other streaming services in the past, this is by far and away the best way to Absolutely. reach new fans. Absolutely. So the la- last question for you is, is with the whole of the league, and then we can dive into some playoff talk. Both the league commissioner and the deputy commissioner, who was also the interim commissioner, are both gone, yeah. stepping into new roles in new sports. Is there a direction you think this this league should or will look towards in their new leader of the sport? Yeah. And I think the, the whole process of finding who the next commissioner is going to be, will be a very interesting one to kind of watch. And when I remember when they brought Nick Sakevich in, some of the people they were talking about were some, from some very big household name leagues and teams. So they did a very thorough job last time. I'm very interested to see who comes out of the wash this time. But from a league standpoint and whoever the new captain of the ship is, I'm of the mind that we need to get us to 16 teams, balance the league out eight and eight, and then let's just sit on it for a few years. Let's build up some more excitement. Let's drum up some more business within our league. Let's make sure our, our players are growing with the league and that we're not getting too big too soon. And that's what happened in the league in the early 2000s when they went from 9 to 13. And then a year later, they were back down to like 8 because they just they tried to go too big too soon. And that was one of my concerns with Nick Sakevich's vision of trying to get to 30 teams in you know the next decade. It, it just wasn't feasible with the amount of players that are out there. So I, I think it's important to us for us to get to balance. Obviously, Vegas is in next year, makes it 15. Whoever that 16th team is, I'd like to see them be in the Western Conference so we can align eight and eight. We can have, you know, equal playoffs and maybe even expand the playoffs, expand the season. Um, But let all those teams get a good foothold because we do have some teams that are still struggling. You know, you look at Panther City, their numbers weren't weren't great in their first year. Uh, Rochester's crowds were struggling. New York crowds were getting better. Georgia crowds were getting better. But we still have some teams that are just kind of floundering. So we got to make sure before we do whatever the next wave of expansion is, and there will eventually be one, but we have to make sure that all of our teams are on stable ground so that we're not moving or losing teams at a faster rate than we're bringing teams in. Yeah, I don't know about you, but I was definitely, as Panther City was climbing up the ladder there, I was hoping they were going to make yeah. the playoffs because I think that would have been a huge get for the state of Texas yep. with their first NLL team and first lacrosse team to be able to make playoffs, and you can kind of build a following down there with a playoff lacrosse team. Yeah, and, and it was it was good for them that they did go on a bit of a run and show some life. I just wish the fans would have come out and supported that more. Um, obviously just year one. So let's see how Bob Hamley and his group of Greg Bibb and, and the rest kind of 
sort that group out and sort the city out and keep them involved and keep them interested in, in Panther city. And hopefully next year they're even bigger and better. They're going to be a much better team next year. We already know that with stats coming in and Donville coming in, like they have some good young talent coming into their team next year, plus even more draft picks. So um, it'll be interesting to see what they do. And if they can create some more business, then yeah, I, I think fans will start to show up, but we got to give them time. All right, we can move into more playoff action now because that actually starts on Friday here. Now, we can start with the top team in the league, the Buffalo Bandits. I know we mentioned it the last time we talked also that the Bandits had a shot and they're always going to be in it. But the team started 13-1. and They're now 1-3 and in their last four games going into the playoffs. Is this cause for concern or do you think it's just their normal ebbs and flows of the NLL? And I know they had that rough stretch of four games in eight days that might have did them in towards the end of the season. Do you think this is... A little bit of cause for concern or just, you know, normal uh, NLL? I think there's got to be a little concern, um, especially when that first game is a one and done. Yep. Uh, Steve Brumel was on my show and uh, this week, and he mentioned that, you know, in, in a one game, you never really know. But in a best two of three, there's not many teams that are probably going to be able to find a way to beat Buffalo in a two of three series. But in a best of one, you really never know what can happen. And so I think there does have to be a bit of concern. But in saying that, Buffalo wasn't really playing quote unquote meaningful across the last few weeks of the season. They had already clinched first in the East. They had already clinched first overall throughout the entire league. So they didn't have a lot to play for. So I, I think from a, uh, you know, a bandits fan perspective, I think you can kind of take this losing streak with a bit of a grain and salt. They were playing teams that were playing for their playoff lives in those last few weeks. So um, this team will be ready, uh, you know, John Tavares will have his troops ready to go this weekend on Saturday night. And I, I expect we'll see much more of the bandits that started off the year, the best team in the league than the team that kind of stumbled in their last few outings. Yeah, hundred percent. I, I think the Georgia game was a great example of them going in saying, Hey, we got to win this one. So that last game versus Toronto, it can just, you know, gear us up for playoffs mm. and it doesn't mean, you know, we got to win that one. Right. And I think, you know, even that Toronto game, they didn't have a lot to play for, but I think Toronto had a lot to play for. You know, they didn't, they wanted to put a bit of a seed and doubt in Buffalo's mind for a possible Eastern final matchup. But I think, and a lot of others do too, that in that rock locker room was a lot of pride in saying, we don't want to let Dane get that record on our watch. And what Nick Rose and that defense did to limit Dane to zero points for the first time since 2017 uh, that was an outstanding performance. And I think that all had to do with them just kind of having a bit of pride in that room. And that's not to take anything away from the bandits, but you know, when you're, when everything is signed, sealed and delivered, you kind of just are cruising. And I think they're getting ready to ramp up at the right time though. So the bandits offensive group is just loaded with Smith and Byrne leading the way, but then you also got five guys right behind him and fields, Coutier, Buchanan, Frazier, and Nanako, who are all, all seven of them are over 50 points, including five of those seven over 30 goals. Is this the best collection of forwards you have seen in quite a while? And beyond that, beyond just their skill level, what has kind of helped unlock some of these guys this year and take them, take their game to the next level? Having been on some pretty talented teams uh, in my early years in the National Lacrosse League, uh, I, I would still say yes. Uh, just the rate that these guys are scoring, and you said it, you know, seven guys with 50 points or more is just a ludicrous stat when you think about things at the end of the day. Where, where teams are struggling to get guys over like 25 and 30 points, these guys did it with ease. And I think the main reason for that 
is that all those guys are pretty much living together in Buffalo. So they're always together and they're always hanging out. You know, they're going to the cryo chambers and they're working out and they're eating together and they're like building that chemistry is so underrated and it speaks volumes to how much success they've had. Cause not only, you know, did a lot of those guys play on the chaos together. So they had that championship run. Um, but the fact that they're just so such a tightly knit group um, is doing wonders for them. And you, and you see it, you know, you ask what's the secret to their success. I think it's just that they're out there having fun playing free, you know, like you did when you were a kid, there's not a lot of pressure on those guys because they all know everybody can chip in. It's not just on one guy's shoulder. If three guys have a bad night, you still got four other forwards that are going to be able to put up four or five point nights to kind of pick up the slack. So there's no, yeah, yes, it's Dane and Josh's offense, but nobody is second to anybody within that collective group. And I think that makes them a very lethal weapon come playoffs because who do you shut down? And yes, Toronto showed you shut Dane down and kind of silences that offense, but it's not too often that Dane Smith is going to have zero points in a game. So for that group to be successful, everybody has to be chipping in. They have to play with that chip on their shoulder. They got to play with a little swagger and they do that better than anybody else in the league. Yeah, 100%, especially when you mentioned how close-knit these guys are. And I was thinking it, it it might just be, you know, news, like the front of the newspaper kind of thing. But we had a couple guys on the show, and they reinforced it. Yeah, this this group is so unselfish, and it translates to the field. Just, you know, they don't care who's scoring as long as they're getting the W in the win column. Yeah, and the fact that, you know, Dehoga has, has stepped up his game in his first year and just, you know, again, much like Jeff T, we knew what Dehoga could do, but – we didn't know how quickly he would be able to adapt. Man, he once he kind of fully committed to the bandits and they took him third overall, and he was like, yep, I am in. And it took him a couple games, but, you know, he's played for John Tavares before. He's played with some of those guys before. So just took him a couple minutes to figure it out and then started playing with that confidence that we know he has. And he's just been uh, an incredible bright spot. But throughout that whole lineup, really everyone contributes at all different factors. And I think they are a very cohesive front seven. Yeah. And you can't get that ball off of Tehoka. Oh my God. It's yeah. unbelievable. <laughs> he's a truck, man. It's it's ridiculous. How his wrist strength and um, just some of the things that he's doing is just fantastic to watch from an outsider's perspective. So between the pipes, you got Mandy Vince, who is once again, having a goalie of the year type season. He's played in all, all but 18 minutes so far and uh, 16 of those 18 games he played. The whole time he's 14 and four third best goals against the 10.10 best save percentage at 807. Now we know his training and workout regimen is second to none. What, but what are those little things that he does that just gives him that extra edge over the other top goalies in the league now and in history? Um, uh, obviously yes, the, the gym preparation and all that is one thing, but it's, it's just the, the book that he has, on all these shooters and the preparation that he does in studying game film and, and being able to break down shooters tendencies. And that's something that a lot of young goaltenders can learn from. And, and still every goalie is doing that more and more, but he's just been around for so long. He literally has a book on everybody. And I think that part of that starts to play into shooters minds because he, he can just, he, he fools you at times into shooting where he wants you to shoot not where you're wanting to shoot. It's not so much a bait, but he just, the way he plays and the angle that he plays, he really generally knows where you're shooting. 
The one way you can get to Matt Vince, obviously, is with ball movement and shooting around picks, not allowing him to see the shot. But his rebound control is so good. He doesn't give up a lot of second chances. Uh, he's able to kind of settle his defense down with his communication. And, and he makes those big saves at key moments that can really slow momentum down for a team or, or deny a momentum-breaking opportunity. So he, he just is so composed in between the pipes. He doesn't make a lot of mistakes. He doesn't, you know, you mentioned he played all of 18 minutes. That means he didn't ever have a bad game. He might have had a bad stretch of maybe three goals, but he never had a bad game. I'm, I'm sure most of those minutes that Devlin Shanahan played were probably in cleanup duty when a game was out of hand. So he just gives you consistent minutes every night in, and you can count on him. You know, if, you're, if your defense isn't playing very well, you can always count on Matt Vince to make that save when you need him. So from top to bottom, I can't see if there are any very many holes in this team heading into playoffs. So I'll ask this, and so it's not coming from the guy who lives in Buffalo. It's coming from an outsider. Is this the team that could possibly get the Bandits over that hump to the elusive fifth title? And if it is, who is that underrated player or you know player that's not named Smith, Burn, or Vince that could play a pivotal role in getting them that title? I'm going to say it's Max Adler. Just for the fact of how important we have seen faceoffs be in the NLL this year and the direction that teams are going, trying to get themselves that faceoff guy that can get them a much needed possession. And it's never really been something Buffalo has focused on. Yes, they had Jay Thornbear for a long time, but he could still play a shift to defense. Whereas Max Adler, they kind of just want him to win the draw and get off the floor. He doesn't play a lot of minutes outside of faceoffs. So if he is going to have an impact, he is going to have to be like a 70% draw guy. And if he's not winning those draws, he's contesting the loose balls and making sure he can get possession back because the one strength that we know of this Buffalo team is their offense. But if their offense isn't on the field and they don't have possession, they're not going to be able to put up a lot of goals. So, you know, in that first game, he's going up against Joe Nardella of the Firewolves, one of the best draw guys in the game. And they always have good battles. So if he can limit Nardella's possessions, that's huge. If he has to face Wiz or he has to face TD in the next round, he's, again, going to have to be able to win a majority of those possessions. So as much as people want to look at Matt Vince or Dane or Josh, I think if Max Adler can have a above-average outing in that first game in the postseason at the dot, then they definitely can have a win. And to the first part of the question, this is absolutely a team that can end that drought. I think if they play disciplined lacrosse and they don't get too out of hand, as often bandit ball has tended to do, then they definitely have a chance. If they are parading to the penalty box, trying to get the crowd too much on their side, then they can get kind of distracted from the process. So Max Adler winning draws and playing a disciplined playoff series every time out they're going to be the keys for the bandits if they are going to want to win and i truly believe that they can i I love that pick with max adler because the last time they faced albany and went to overtime he won that crucial draw exactly that got it to frazier frazier shot the ball buchanan had it and dunked it so i i love that pick and <laughs> he is the hardest working guy who has a five second shift i have yeah. ever seen on this team it's unbelievable yeah and, and that's what you need and that's that's also part of the the buying in process of everybody just kind of knowing their role. And yeah, no one likes to be called a Fogo, 
But in, in this instance, they just kind of need him to be that. If he gets stuck out on defense, he's got to make sure he's playing quality defense. But they kind of have ingrained in him that even if we lose the possession and they get it, get your ass off the floor. We'll play with our regular set of D guys and you just worry about the next draw. And he's and he's bought into that and he's loved it. And then, of course, they give him that penalty shot goal in Rochester just to kind of, you know, give him one. And he scored on it. And everybody loved that. And that's just guys buying into the team game concept. And, and he's a perfect example of that. So we can kind of move aside from the Buffalo Bandits and move to the other teams playing in the East. You got Toronto, Halifax, and the team that Buffalo's facing on Saturday, like we mentioned, the Albany Firewolves. Toronto has what I think is the next best collection of players put together behind the Bandits. They have the scorers and St. Talon on the back end, and then another goalie of the year candidate, Nick Rose. Halifax started off 8-1, and one, recording four wins over Toronto and Philly, but they've gone 3-6 and six since Week 10. And then you have Albany who's got the veterans and Reza Terrace and Benny, who are 5-4 and four against playoff teams, but 1-3 against teams like Rochester, New York. Now, is this a two-headed race between Buffalo and Toronto, or can you feel or see somewhat of an upset coming? I think it's little column A, little column B. Yes, it is sort of working its way to being a two-horse race between the top two of the Bandits and the Rock. But it would not surprise me if both or either of Albany or Halifax pull off that upset um halifax beat toronto two of three this year uh albany took buffalo to overtime in that one of their two games that they played each other this year so uh, i definitely think the upsets are possible especially since like we talked about it's just a one game winner take all essentially in this first round you have a bad quarter you have a bad five minute spell near the end of the game you come out with a slow start and don't get your motor run until the second half you're going to be in for a long night. So I have a feeling that experience and the depth of Toronto and Buffalo will eventually reign true, but Dougie can steal you a game. And if that Halifax offense can figure themselves out, then they could easily hang 15, 16 on Toronto and blow the doors off them if they're not ready. So uh, both games in the East are going to be outstanding. Upsets are definitely possible. Uh, but I think a lot of people would really love to see Toronto and Buffalo uh, in a best two or three to see who reigns supreme. So over in the West, it's not so divided in tiers, kind of like the East is. You got the Seals hosting the wildcard Philadelphia Wings, and then you got Colorado traveling to Calgary. Bandits went one and one over in the West this year, and one of those one wins was the first game of the season. So as a West Coast living guy yourself, can you get a give us a quick rundown for the listeners on how the season over there went for those three teams? Because as as we cover the Bandits, unless we're facing a Western team, the Western division kind of takes a backseat here. Yeah, and that's completely understandable. And you know, the the East actually has a pretty good record against the West overall this season, so that's why a lot of people are hedging bets that the East will reign as champions at the end of the day. But you know, it was really a, a tale of three different teams, you know, Colorado was kind of up and down and they never really had bad games and never really had outstanding games. They had some ridiculous comebacks against Vancouver, but they were always kind of at the top of the West. Calgary had a really slow start as they're tending to do more and more often these days where they just kind of are slowly introducing systems and they don't really care what happens in January and February. They want to be playing their best lacrosse in March and April, and they're doing that. 
Um, outside of the Toronto Rock, they're the hottest team in the NLL right now heading into the playoffs. And you have to be very scared. The, the, the defending champions are starting to find their stride. Then you have San Diego, who was right up there with Buffalo as 1-2 in the NLL for the longest time. Uh, they started 9-2, and two, and then they went 1-7, and seven, uh, I think, down the stretch. And if it's not for that game against Vancouver at the end of the season where they win 10-9, they end up second. They might even end up third in the West. So they've really limped into that number one seed out West. They're not playing very good lacrosse right now, but they did get a home game. They did get a win in that last game in the regular season. So it has to be a confidence builder for them. But when you look at the two games, San Diego gets Philadelphia, who travels across the country, who just beat them in San Diego a couple weeks ago in overtime. Calgary and Colorado just played this past weekend in a ridiculous game. And their season series, since 2004, they've played 11 times in the postseason. And Calgary has won 10 of them. They've won nine straight against Colorado. I don't know what voodoo magic they have over the Mammoth, but they just always find a way to win. So that is probably my most favorite matchup of the weekend just because of the historical past. But these three teams are all really playing different lacrosse right now. And I think Calgary is probably playing the best. Then you get Colorado and San Diego is probably playing the worst of the three. Um, But all three have tremendous coaches who will have them ready to play. And I think the West is going to be a very, very difficult path. Uh, for all four of those teams, including Philadelphia. Yeah, 100%. I completely agree with the Colorado-Calgary one. That's going to be a fun one to watch. And that's the one that they moved just to ESPNU, I believe. Just uh, No, San Diego. Ago. San Diego is the one. Okay. five yeah. in ESPNU. Okay, perfect. Yeah, that works. So yeah. to tie this into seeding, and I think I know the answer, and I think we might have touched on it with the realignment of the, the uneven teams in the two mm-hmm. conferences. Do you know what the th- th- uh, thought process was behind the number one seed in the West automatically gets the wildcard team, no matter where it comes from. And instead of it being, if the top seed of a total in the league is in the East where it's Buffalo, that the number four seed in the East should have moved over to the West because it seems like, and I'm, I'm not trying to be the Homer here, but it no, seems no, I like get that. And it's actually a great get, point. Yeah. It's actually yeah. a great point. I've never actually thought about it that way. And I don't know how other teams do wild or other leagues do wild card and crossovers, but I think that's how it works too, or okay. as well. I'm just trying to think of how the NHL does it, but it, it probably would be worth discussing because you're right. Now the number one seed is actually playing the seventh best team in the playoffs and not necessarily the eighth best team in the playoffs. So um, I, I think it was just probably a little, a bit of a quick, solution for them they probably didn't put that much thought into it i might have to ask a few uh, of the um, strategy committee guys about that but it is a very good point but I, I just think they they looked at it and said okay you get the top four and then we'll just look who's better four and five and then whoever that is plays in the west so uh, again i don't know if there was much but it is definitely a, a great question to ask some of the higher ups yeah, I figured it might have just been a one year off because when you got Vegas coming in, and yeah, sure Vegas gives you se- like you're seven and eight, and you probably don't have to worry about that crossover as much because now there's that extra team in the West. But um, they may still do that next year. I don't know, but definitely once we even out at at eight and eight, there will be no more crossover. But again, that may 
lead to bringing more teams into the playoffs and say giving you know the the top seed in each division the top two seeds in each conference uh a buy so um that's definitely something to look for down the road so now that we went over all the teams in the playoffs currently i gotta ask with everything said what's your final matchup you see happening um I think if Colorado or if Calgary can buy, get by Colorado or whoever wins that series will come out of the West. So it'll be Calgary or Colorado coming out of the West. And I really would love to see Buff, uh, Toronto beat Buffalo. Um, not that I don't like Buffalo. I would just like to to see this team kind of continue this run that they're on. It's just been in a, an incredible push. You know, everyone looks at, what Buffalo did at the start of the season, but the rock went 10 and two down the stretch. And you mentioned Nick Rose is a goaltender of the year candidate. I definitely think he's going to get a lot of consideration compared to Matt Vince in that one, two battle. So um, if those two teams meet in the final and it's Colorado and San Diego or Calgary and San Diego, I think we're going to be guaranteed an outstanding final. Um, but I will say Toronto Calgary is your final. Yeah, I, 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 sadly, I can see that just because of how well put together Toronto is, and like you said, how well they're playing right now. They're they're great top to bottom. You got Shriver leading the league, or tied for the league lead in goals, and he missed a couple games. Yeah. And it, he's been a a thorn in the Buffalo Bandits side this year because he did miss the one game that Buffalo took from him. And we even said it on the podcast; they weren't at full full roster they didn't have their full roster the first mm-hmm. time they faced them and the second time through it, it was a tough get between the two and it's going to be a battle if it is between buffalo and toronto to get to the finals yeah and i think you know that's obviously going to be a, a rose vince battle that everybody will love but i think the the key in that series will be offensive depth and buffalo buffalo probably has the advantage in that um with all the guys that we talked about but don't sleep on this rock offense and, and their transition game because uh, Challen Rogers is, is a very special athlete and he could be a real star in these playoffs if he gets going. Yeah, he's unbelievable. He's he's killed us this year too. So yeah, <laughs> let's take a small look forward for the league. Personally, I think this is an extremely important offseason for this league, adding their 15th team, new commissioner, full first full offseason since 2019. Mm-hmm. Now, in your opinion, what's the biggest thing this league can do in the offseason take this league to the next level? I mean, you already got the TV contracts. You have the new team in Vegas with a star-studded offensive group. What's that next big thing that they need to focus on besides the new commissioner? I think, and this kind of goes hand-in-hand hand with the new commissioner, it's going to be the CBA um, between okay, the yep. players' union and the league. Um, the, the union opted out of their contract, so they're basically kind of just in discussions right now. And and I talked with Zach Curry this past weekend in Calgary, and he had mentioned that, that talks are slowly starting. Um, they've bounced some ideas off each other, but you know, it's, it's going to be a long road. And it's as anybody who's a sports fan knows when, when labor negotiations and talks happen between the unions and the league, there's always a, Oh yeah. Okay. But if we're going to do this, we need you to do this. And back and forth and people holding their ground and not wanting to give up things and asking for things that may not be, you know, seen as important by the other side. So I think that truly is the biggest crux for our league and our players is how are we going to grow? And they have to look at what the PLL is doing in trying to get players, you know, full-time status and paying them more and limiting their opportunities outside of that league. I think we're getting close to that time. 
in the NLL, but we're not there yet. Um, I, I think a pay jump is probably going to be asked for by the players and, and a bit of a steady growth. Um, obviously, they're going to want, you know, if, if the season's going to be extended, they're going to want more pay. Uh, they're going to want a lot more things. And as the league grows, the players have to grow at the same time and they can't be left in the dark. And I know the, the, the league doesn't want to leave the players in the dark because they understand their value. And with these ownership groups that are coming in and the TV deal, that just has to bring hopefully more money into the league, which will in turn put more money in players' pockets. So uh, I think the CBA is the most important thing for the league because we have a lot of great things on the horizon. Not only just this playoff run that's coming up, but you know the Vegas expansion draft, another entry draft where um, we're going to have outstanding kids coming into our league, and then the prospect of Team 16. So uh, we're at a, a crucial point, and this CBA is going to have to be one that I, you know, I don't know how long it will be. If it'll be like an eight year, a ten year, or a five year, but there's going to have to be some stability for both parties, and that's going to take a lot of work. And I'm interested to see how it all plays out. But yeah, the, the CBA is most most definitely the biggest and most important thing that's going to be on the calendar this offseason. I wonder actually how that lost year and how that shortened year might affect their thought process going into the CBA on both sides going, hey, we can't have a delay in this season or another lost season after you know being out a year and a half. We got to be able to come together and think about the greater good of the league as a whole between you know ownership group and the players. And I think any delay or any missed season again, which I, I, I can't see happening. I, I, I'm not in the inner workings or anything, yeah. but I, I can't see them going to the table and just going, Hey, uh, our side's got to win. Your sides can't, can't win. It's, I think they got to come together, especially after the, how much time both sides have missed. Yeah. And obviously the lost time hurts, but I, I think, you know, the, the process is going to be, you know, let's get a commissioner in place. Let, let's, let's, yep. I don't know if they're going to try and expedite that process to, you know, to have somebody done by say July when free agency starts kind of thing, but they got to like the players and the board of governors are having conversations like it's, you you know, and that those conversations will continue to go on with or without a commissioner, but having that kind of commissioner in place will be huge in, in helping the CBA process get going. And yeah, that, that time off hurt, and they cannot afford, you're right, Patrick, they cannot afford to get to October and still being trying to negotiate things. If they got some, you know, T's to cross and I's to dot and some finite things to take care of, okay. But if they're still miles apart once we get to the fall, that's not a good sign because that we have had in years past seasons delayed, Seasons canceled, seasons restarted um, because we couldn't get a deal done because everybody waited till the 11th hour. It would be hugely beneficial if we were able to get a commissioner in place and get the, the CBA kind of going in the right direction by the time we hit the draft because that will kind of ensure a lot of safety moving forward. So to try to get more positive here, we don't want to end on like a Debbie no, Downer no, no, note no, here. No sour so. notes. No sour Yeah, so we're going to ask some two non-lacrosse questions here. And the last time we had you on here, I, I found out that you're, you're a big wrestling guy. Mm -hmm. So I have to ask, did you see Pat McAfee at WrestleMania? And what were your thoughts on him? Uh, I absolutely loved it. Um, I think okay, yep. what Pat McAfee has done, not only for his brand, um, but 
for the wrestling industry has been outstanding because it's brought a new generation and new style of fan into WWE that may not have been there. You know, they might've brought over a million football fans that had never really been WWE fans because they just want to see what Pat was going to do. And um, he's built a name for himself and he's done an absolutely incredible job just becoming a character in that world. And he's still himself in everything that he does. He plays to that role and it's been outstanding. You know, the, the fuse that he's had um, have been re- really well scripted and really well thought out. And, you know, he's not only doing it in the ring, but he's doing it in the, in the commentary booth as well. And he's just an incredible talent um, at what he's able to do. And he's just being himself, which is the best part. Yeah, I think it starts with the personality. You saw it in the ring. You see it on his podcast and everything. But his athleticism in the yeah. ring there where he had his back flip off the ropes and then right back landed on his feet and then leaps to the top rope. Yeah, it, was just, like, it was everywhere and it was this awesome. This guy's a punter, they say, right? Okay, right? yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> like you got to be an athlete to be able to do that. Like that's just – it's phenomenal. And, you know, he's, he's put the time in. Like he's got a – full-size wrestling ring in his building at where he hosts a podcast and all that. Like he's not just like one of those guys that wanted a quick paycheck. Like this is something that he always wanted to do and he's living his dream and he's taking full advantage of it. So last one, we've had a couple guests on and a couple listeners and I've asked the same question and I just can't get anybody on my side, Teddy. So <laughs> I'm hoping you might be able to join my side here. And I'm even the only member of the BSC here that is on this side. So I'll ask it and hopefully join my side. But I I, I, I kind of, you know, haven't had any thought processes in, in trying to recruit people. I just, you know, if somebody answers it right, I'll take them on my side. So you bake two lasagnas. You take one of them and you stack them on top of the other. Do you now have one lasagna or do you still have two lasagnas? You have high cholesterol for sure. Yep. Yep. That's, that's um, probably going to need a nap. Um, but I think you, you've only got one giant lasagna. Yep. See, I, I knew, I knew that was coming because all the other people's answers, I'm still on the two side. How's it two? It's just a giant double decker lasagna. See, I I think that, but because you bake them separately, if you were to stack them and then maybe sprinkle some cheese on it so you fuse it together, so you put it back in the oven for a minute and melt yeah. the cheese and fuse it together, then you have one. But I think you just got two lasagna stacked on top of each other. I can see it, but I will agree to disagree. That's fair. That's 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 usually how it goes is I add the cheese part where you confuse it. And then they're like, yeah, I, I get that part. But well, you see, know, now I, I started thinking, OK, if I take two cookies and I stack them together, do I have one cookie or am I eating two cookies because I'm a fat kid? Exactly. Um, so, yeah, I, I can see your point of view, but not with lasagna. Lasagna, lasagnas, you can't eat them with your hands. You got to use a fork and a knife. It's just one big giant lasagna. That's fair. I I think we can agree that you will need a nap after both of them, though. True story. So, Teddy, that pretty much wraps it up. I love having you on because you're you're very insightful. You you bring the energy, and I think everybody loves it. So, thank you again for joining the show. If I think everybody's already following you, but if they aren't, you want to give them where you can either find your show or find you. Yeah, uh, find the show on Twitter at OTCB underscore podcast, and on Twitter I'm just at Teddy Jenner. So. Uh, this week we did uh, a good little roundtable discussion with four analysts from around the league, just touching base on all four of the quarterfinal games. And uh, it was a real great talk with all four guys. So uh, if you want to hear more about the games coming up this weekend, uh, would love to have you over on the podcast and have a listen. 
Yeah, I definitely listened to it. It's awesome. 100% definitely recommend it. So thanks again, Teddy, for joining the, here in the BSC. Hope to talk to you down the road and, you know, as we get into the offseason and that CBA talk. Absolutely, my man. You got my number. I'm always down to chat and uh, hope everybody in the, everybody in the BC, BSC enjoys the games this weekend. Thank you, Teddy. Appreciate it. Anytime. Thank you all for listening to this extra special edition of the Buffalo Sports Collective. Thanks again to Teddy for taking some time to chat with us. Make sure you follow him on Twitter and give his podcast a listen. Check back with us every Monday and Friday for our normally scheduled shows. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Buffalo Sports Collective and on Twitter at Buffalo Sports Co. Check out our website at buffalosportscollective.com. Subscribe to our channel wherever you listen to podcasts and make sure you leave us a review on Apple and Spotify. Until next time. Bye-bye.